The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. I went over to a friend of mine, uh, Phil Howard. He's a pastor at uh, Valley Bible Church. And he, uh, I, I told him, I said, I'm really frustrated with our discipleship thing. I wrote a big, long, detailed uh, program, you know, curriculum. And uh, I said, it's, it's, it's just really frustrating me because I can't see it ever getting any traction. And he said to me, and we went to school together. We've been good friends for many years. And he said, uh, you know, I've discovered over the years that when I listen to people talk about discipleship, that everybody knows that that's what the local church is supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples. But what we try to do is we try to recruit people into a curriculum for discipleship. And that's not what it is. And it wasn't what it was at Valley Bible when we were there for 12 years. Uh, we saw so many people uh, become disciples of Jesus Christ, and it was it was the effect of the church on them, the effect of being in this group of people that they were moved by it, and they were brought to the place where they wanted to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't difficult when we had opportunity to to uh, use different techniques to to make disciples that they wanted to be they wanted to be changed into a disciple of Jesus Christ and not just be a happy Christian uh, flopping along and not really paying attention to what we are supposed to be and where we're supposed to be going. And so that's why I came upon this topic. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this is what it says. Listen to these words. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, And though you have not seen him, you love him. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Though you not see him, you do not see him, you love him. And though you're not seeing him now, but believing in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That, there's a song, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's exactly what all of us experienced when we met the person we were going to marry. That's what happened to me. And uh, that's, it fills your heart with joy. And here he says, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to experience joy inexpressible and full of glory, even though you don't see him, but you're believing him. That's all that he requires of us is that we trust him, we believe him. And so when you believe him, you're going to experience the salvation of your souls, as he says in verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So it was this, this transformation that of being made a, into a, uh, a believer in Jesus Christ that you experienced the salvation of your souls, and it made all kinds of difference. You wanted to follow him, and you wanted to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what disciple-making is all about. Disciple-making is something that is we're told about it in, in Matthew chapter 20, right at the end of Matthew, in which he says, this is what he says, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and upon earth. Therefore... And you get the consequence there, don't you? That he's saying, this has happened, and there is, a, there is a response to it that we must give. Therefore, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Well, this is what the disciples understood they were supposed to do. They were supposed to go out, and they were supposed to uh, that God was going to to save people in this way, and they were supposed to fulfill this role as disciples of Jesus Christ. 
they were supposed to teach them all that Jesus had taught them. Uh, I don't know about you, but thinking about coming to the place where I could honestly say to another person, follow me as I follow Christ is a great, great challenge, isn't it? I think most Christians would say, no, I'm not there. That's what he's called us to be. It doesn't mean I'm a spiritual giant. It means I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I have come to the place where I realize that that is exactly what I want more than anything else in life. I want to be like Jesus Christ. And so this is what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about the fact that God doesn't want you to quench the joy of that he has given you as a believer. He's given you joy, and that joy comes from knowing him. It comes from interceding with him. It comes with living your life in fellowship with this Lord Jesus Christ and telling others about it. Now, it would be easy to put together a little program and say, okay, I want you to speak to five people every day and tell them about Jesus Christ. But that's not what this is about. This is about becoming a person who delights in talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and that people, maybe they'll get tired of you. Maybe they'll say, you know, you're kind of driving me crazy. You've talked to me about him about about 15 times. That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? And uh, this is what he wants us to do. He just wants us to be awake as a church that we have a relationship with God through Christ, through faith, and we experience joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what it is. So we, we need to be expecting this joy. It comes at the salvation of our souls. Let me explain something to you. When in the creation account, it says that Jesus breathed into the nostrils of Adam, and he became a living soul. It was something that God gave to Adam, which he passed on to his descendants. We have a soul, and our soul is saved when we put faith in Jesus Christ. But the soul is pictured in Scripture as that part of the human being, the inner part of a human being, in which we can feel life. And what he wants you to feel is the joy of relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus, that he is your Savior, and you can talk about him. Uh, I also ran into a, um, a little, um, it was kind of a devotional by John Piper. Have any of you read John Piper by any chance? Uh, he's, uh, I remember S. Lewis Johnson, I was talking to him one time, and he had been teaching over at a seminary where, where John Piper was teaching, and I said, what is he like? And he said, he's an excellent teacher but he's kind of spastic in his movements. <laughs> You'd have to know John. Uh, you have to know this man because he's a very, uh, he's a Southern gentleman. And, and for him to say that was really quite funny. Um, but this is exactly what he, and he wrote this, this uh, John Piper wrote this devotional and it's called Serve God with Your Thirst. Serve God with Your Thirst. And here's what he's talking about. God is not a watering trough. He doesn't need you to carry water to him and pour it into his watering trough so people can come to him and and be their thirst quenched. Instead, he is a mountain spring. And what God wants you to do is to drink deeply from this mountain spring. He wants you to drink deeply from him. And that's why he called it, serve God with your thirst. Uh, When you come to him, you receive from him what you need, and it produces joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so that's, that's, what, uh, that's what this is all about. It's about growing as a disciple. is coming to find everything you need in Jesus Christ and the Father. And so this is why we're looking at it. And so he says, when he says here, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. And because you care for him, because you are trusting in him, 
you have received this joy inexpressible and full of glory. That's what I, that's what I love about my wife, is I love the fact that I have seen that, the joy inexpressible and full of glory. Uh, I've seen it in other people. I've seen it in my mom, my dad, my, and people that I've known, that uh, the effect of receiving Christ and having him living in them produces joy inexpressible and full of glory, or joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so this is why we are, we are talking about that. Uh, I think Jimmy Swigert wrote this song, or at least he sings, sang it a lot. If you ever go online, that's who you'll see singing it. But one of the things I, I do appreciate about Jimmy Swigert is this, that his fall brought him to the place where he believes in grace. I used to listen to him every Saturday morning because I would, I would, the radio, my alarm would go on, and I would hear his program, and he would be talking. And he would always be banging away at sinners. He just bam, bam, bam. You know, that's what he always did. And now he has learned that he needs grace. And he said, I heard him say, he says, you know, a lot of Christians think that everything's good with you and God when things are going well with you. But when things go bad, he's ready to turn around and walk away. And he says, I want to assure you of something. It doesn't matter what your situation is. He will never leave you or forsake you. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are to love one another. And instead of criticizing each other, we are to build each other up instead of tearing each other down. That's in John 17 is a chapter you should read carefully. Because in that chapter, he says this very thing. This is how you're supposed to treat one another. You're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to be encouraging and praying for one another. That's what we're called to do, not to point out all your faults. I already know you have a bunch of faults. <laughs> and so I don't need to point them out. I got a bunch of faults, too, and I don't want to tell you mine. But uh, the, the wonderful thing is, he says in that chapter, which I'd never heard before, Francis Chan said it, and that was, that was this, that what God says to the Son is, I have made them one just as you and I are one. You get that? He says, I've made them, the disciples, one, just as you and I are one. I've made you one with me. So the unity of the Father and the Son is like the unity that we have as believers in Jesus Christ with all other believers, regardless of where they're, where they're at. The wonderful thing is, is when we get caught up to be in the presence of the living God, it's going to be joy inexpressible and full of glory. We're told that in Jude, it says that the, that the son, rather, is going to present you to the father with joy. I always read that as that I'm going to have great joy when he presents me to the father. But that's not what it's saying. In, in, the, in the language itself, he's saying it's his joy. He is going to have great and deep and profound joy when he presents you to the father. Isn't that amazing? He's going to say, Father, this is Terry Ramos, and I give him to you. Uh, he had come to put faith in me, and I've watched over his life, and now I want to present him to you. And it says it's going to be with great joy, great joy. Now, with me, it would be great surprise, probably. <laughs> but, but it's going to be with great joy with the Father as he presents you and I to the Father, uh, to the, the Son presents us to the Father. And so this is what we want to look at today. We want to look at the issue of the, that we should not be quenching joy. Joy was given to us. Here's an example of serving God with thirst. It's found in John 7, 37. In John 7, 37, you know, the beginning of the passage, that talks about Jesus being at the great feast or festival, which was the festival of tabernacles. 
That is, what they were celebrating was God was with them through their wilderness journey. They went through the, the desert, and God supplied water, and he supplied light for them. And so they would come together, and they would celebrate the fact that God was with them, and he gave them everything they needed through this entire journey. He gave them light. Remember, they followed him at night because they followed the light, the Shekinah, which was the manifestation of the presence of God. And they saw it. He made it visible to them so they could see where they should go. And uh, so he says here, now on the last day, the last the day of the feast, of this Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus stood up and he cried out. Now cried out means he yelled. He, he said this very loud. He cried out. The great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. And then get this. I love this part. It says uh, the Apostle John, who's now about 85 years old, he explains. Here he's 85 years old, and he's explaining to them what he meant by, what Jesus meant by uh, this thing of having rivers of living water flowing from their inner being. Now, he's talking about the fact that this is the effect you're going to have on others. It's, it's talking about the, the, the rivers of living water flowing out of you is touching the lives of other people. He says, but this he spoke of the Spirit. This is John the Baptist, or John the Apostle, rather. This is, he says, he spoke this of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. In other words, Jesus promised them over and over again, when I leave, it's good that I leave, because if I don't leave, the Spirit won't come. But when I leave, I'm going to send the Spirit, and he's going to reside in you. He says, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was still here on the earth when, he, when these words were spoken. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. That is, Jesus is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was, they had no idea he was born in Bethlehem. You see, God did everything necessary. He came right where he was supposed to come. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, why, do you, why did you not bring him? In other words, these are the leaders who are saying to them, well, if you're complaining about it, why didn't you bring him to us so we could that we could deal with it. And this happened until they crucified him. And uh, so this is, this is uh, what he is promising us is, is rivers of living water. That's what we have. It's what we already have. You may not be aware of it, but you have within you rivers of living water flowing out. That is refreshing and giving life. You have the gospel. I remember sharing the gospel with my, my son-in-law's dad. And uh, I'd known him for many years, and uh, he had had a stroke, and he was really he was really affected by it. And we were talking out in front of our house, and he said, um, "You know, I really know I need to change my lifestyle. I need to turn over a new leaf." And uh, <laughs> I kind of got amused at that because several years before that, he went forward at a meeting to be a, become a Christian, but then he never followed Christ. And uh, so I said to him. You know, Ralph, here's the problem. If you were, if, if you're, I assume you're talking about you need to make a change in order to get to heaven. Is that right? He says, yeah. 
I says, well, let me tell you something. The only way you could ever get to heaven is if God were to give it to you as a gift. And that's true. And he did. God had given it to him as a gift. That's what he, he wants him to receive this gift. He wants him to receive by faith this wonderful gift of eternal life with him. And so he ended up putting faith in Jesus Christ that day. And I still remember the, the effect it had on him. And it's never changed all these years. He still is following Christ. And uh, that isn't because he's a wonderful, wonderful, uh, you know, determined man. It's because God has done something in his soul. He's changed his soul. He's given him, he saved his soul. And so now he drinks deeply from this one well. And all of you have this well springing up within you. It's the, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he brings eternal life to you. And now you have eternal life. So when you read John 17, you'll discover that this is who you are, and this is why we are to treat one another like brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a brother and a sister, and I've seen both of them this past week. Or no, I didn't see my brother. I saw my sister, but I talked to my brother on the phone, and uh, he's the one who's having the hard time with his wife, who's, who's got a very serious illness. And he, they asked him to do some things medically, to take care of her, and he just couldn't. He couldn't do it, and he was just falling apart. I couldn't believe it. When I talked to him, he was just falling apart because he felt so guilty about this. But now he keeps calling me and telling me that Jesus is coming. He says, you know, I've never been so convinced that Jesus is coming because things are so bad, and Jesus is coming. And I said, well, they don't have to be bad for him to come, but he is coming, and I would love it if he came today. It'd be wonderful if he came today, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes, it would, because we have, a, we have come to know him through faith in Christ, and he has given us eternal life. And so we live our lives before the living God in fellowship with him. And so now God is telling us, look, here is what you must do, because you're now a follower of Christ, and you have the same life in you as your brothers and sisters have. You have to treat them as brothers and sisters. You have to treat them like I would treat my own son. We are one the same way the father is with the son. Now we are one with each other. So even if you are, we're, I think we're all aware. I think we're, we look like mature believers here. We are all aware of the fact that we're all broken. You'll never meet a Christian who's not broken. They weren't broken. They never turned to Christ. But we are broken. And we have various kinds of needs. And uh, the amazing thing, when God saved you, he didn't tell you to hide your sins because, so you could have friends. Because that's what a lot of people think. You've got to hide your sins if you're going to have any friends. Because if they see all your sins, they're not going to want to have anything to do with you. But the fact is, what God said is, this is what I want you to do by your sins. Confess them to me, and I'll forgive you. Now, confess means... To say the same thing about your sin as God does. That's what it says. And so I'm to, I am to confess my sins to him, and he's faithful and righteous to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now that comes about, the reason I can believe that, and the reason I rest in that, is because he has given me eternal life. I have had this, this, this fountain of living water flowing out of me for all these years, and you have too. Now, you may not be aware of it. You may think of yourself as, uh, I try not to tell anybody about my faith. Well, let me tell you, you can't help it. You just can't help it. When God saves you, he does something inside of you that lasts forever. 
And you will always be in situations where you must tell the truth that that person needs to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true of all of us. So we have this river flowing out of us, which means we have eternal life flowing through us into the lives of other people. And um, I love the fact when, when a believer encourages. Don't you love, a believe, love the fact that believers encourage one another? I mean, this is the most, that's probably one of the best things about being in a local church. We experience what it's like to have eternal life within us and sharing it with brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the hardest thing about this, this uh, pandemic that we're in, is that, uh, that we're, it's harder for us to get together. Then we have a few men, a few families like this that open their home up and say, come and gather with us and we'll talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll sing to him. We'll pray for each other. That's what the, we love that so much because he's given us eternal life to give it away. He wants you to give away this, these, this water that flows out of you into the lives of other people. He's talking about life. Life, you have life in you. And he wants you to understand that he's given you life so that you can give it to others, so you can manifest it to others. That's why he has saved us. And so we, uh, we understand that what we want is we want the deep down satisfying life of Jesus Christ in us so that we can experience the effects of him giving us a renewed soul, saving our soul, so that we can enjoy life. We can, we can uh, be enjoy life with one another. This is what he's called us to do. So we have a reason to rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And, and what God says, I don't want you to quench it. You know what quench means, right? We typically think of you quench a fire. If a fire breaks out, you quench it by putting water in or whatever, whatever you do and um, to put it out. And Well, that's what we do with joy. We have joy unspeakable and full of glory because our souls have been saved. And that affects everything about us from the inside. We want to encourage one another. You probably don't realize how important you are in other people's lives. It seems like to me that's, that's the way it goes, that people don't have a clue about how important they are in encouraging fellow believers in times of despair. I just heard that Donelda died, and I didn't even know it. Uh, I had no idea that she had passed away, and I thought so much about how uh, God has worked in her life. And uh, I remember I used to go and visit her husband every week, but he was on dialysis. And I got, there was a period of time there where I'm not kidding you, this is the way it was. Every time I went there, I'd go there once a week. I, every week, every time I'd go there, he had one less limb on his body. It was amazing. And he never complained. I wanted him to complain because I thought, man, this is crazy. And uh, he just wouldn't complain because he just had this simple faith that God was taking him through what he wanted to take him through. And uh, he trusted him. And this is what God has done with us. He has brought us into a trusting relationship with Christ so that we trust him. We rely upon him. We understand that he knows what he's doing. We're told that God helps, uh, our, our, the Holy Spirit helps our prayer because we don't know how to pray as we ought to. And he says he intercedes for us with groanings too deep, too deep for words. Maybe you thought that was your job. You're supposed to be groaning uh, to God about how bad things are. But we, we have one, a supernatural, a third member of the Trinity, 
who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what that means is it's groanings because he cares for you. You ever notice that when somebody cares for you and they're around you and uh, they can't help but be sad by what you're going through? Well, that's, that's what he does. He knows exactly what's going on. And he intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And the Father, it says, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because his mind is to glorify God. And so as the Spirit uh, intercedes for us, the Son then responds by interceding to the Father based upon what the Holy Spirit has done. So we have a whole trinity that are, res- that are uh, representing us in, the, in the, the center of the, the glorious center of the universe in heaven itself. We can, we can rest, but we don't have to rest. We don't have to rest in the sense that I can do nothing. We can rest in the sense that I don't have to be anxious because God is in control. We're told that he will never leave us or forsake us. That is the son. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll go with you to the very end. You can trust him. I love that invitation that he gives in Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that a great invitation? Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Well, you think, man, why would he say that? Here he says he's going to give us rest, and he says, and my, you take my yoke upon you. Well, yoke means that's when you yoke with somebody, you're, you're, you're joining them in a work. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a difficult thing. When I watch these guys work on the building down here, I am not uh, tempted to go and yoke up with them and put out all that energy because it looks very tiresome. And, and, but what Jesus says was, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why is that? Well, it's because he does his end of the, the, the laboring. We can rest in him even while we labor because he is, never gets exhausted. He is able to do exactly what he has called us to do. And he empowers us and he stands beside us. He stands in us. He's with us. And so we can rely upon that. And so uh, I don't have to be afraid. I remember we were carrying in sheetrock, and that sheetrock was heavy. There were 10-foot sheetrocks, pieces of sheetrock, and there was two of them bound together. And I, I dropped mine as we were going in, and it hit the ground. And you'll probably see it somewhere. <laughs> but but it, was just, it was just too heavy for me to carry. And I got to thinking, man, this is amazing that these guys find some kind of joy uh, I think it was Cecil who told me that the most joyful time in his life was when he was doing a building project for a church in Brentwood. They were building a church, and he had great joy. And I think, wow, God can give you joy even when you're working to the point of exhaustion? Do you know that there is a word in the Bible that, that describes us as laboring for Jesus, and it means working to the point of exhaustion? You work to, to the point of exhaustion. He's talking to the Thessalonians, and he says, you put out. But God provided the energy. God provided everything that you needed, and we can rely upon him. So what he wants you to do, he wants you to rejoice. Rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think a lot of people think that, uh, that Christians are the saddest people they've ever met. There's always something to be worried about. I know in, uh, in I think it's, let's see, what is it? Philippians 4.6, is it? Or Colossians 4.6? Be anxious for nothing. Philippians, okay. I told my wife one time, I said, you know, the way I interpret that is, 
be anxious for everything because something may go wrong. <laughs> and you know, if you do that, then you're never surprised. Right. Yeah, that's what I thought. That I thought that engine was going to blow up. I thought that deal was going to fall apart. And it sure did. But he says, no, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, which means asking for yourself personally uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, which we can't even understand, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I'm so grateful for that. We have a river of life flowing out of us, and God wants us to be disciples. Not just we're Christians, we're saved, we're going to heaven, but he wants us to know that he wants you to know that you're on the team, and he wants you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, my son is uh, working, redoing all of our uh, little modules we have at our houses, and uh, he is going in there and completely redoing them. I am so impressed with my own son that he could do this stuff. I've gone shopping with him a couple times to pick up pieces for this stuff, and I can't believe it. I wouldn't have a clue what to do. Now, I didn't have any idea what he was doing, and yet he is working so hard. And you know why he's doing that? It's, and he's able to do that because he had a mentor, and his mentor was Mitch Peterson. He got a, a group of five or six young men, and he says, I want to be your mentor, and I want to disciple you in ta- teaching you how to do carpentry. And he did. And now it's paying off. And we're, we're, we're experiencing the benefits of it. And uh, this is how God wants to, he wants to teach you. He wants to lead you. And he wants to, to, for you to come to know how to lead another believer to a life of real fellowship with Jesus Christ, a a life that's characterized by joy unspeakable and full of glory. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Instead of being moping around and and complaining about everything, we're in the midst of a pandemic. We can't get in our building. We can't get together and all this stuff. Instead, we're rejoicing in God because he's so incredibly good to us. He's so wonderful. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.